Hey, you're listening to the Love Fiercely podcast. My name is Keila Craft Ambrose. This is a place to grow, be inspired, and to go deeper in the things of God. I hope you enjoy this episode. Today, we're going to talk about how to get past your past. And I think that that's a really um, amazing thing to focus on because so many people are stuck and they don't know how to get out of their past. They don't know how to leave their past in the past. Um, You know, there's this quote that I hear a lot of people say in ministry, and they say, your past is not a place of residence, it's a place of reference. And um, I think that, you know, there's a lot you can learn from your past, but there's a lot of times where people bring things into their future and it affects their future from their past. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I think a lot of us drive our boats looking backwards at where the waves are going, but the waves don't drive the boat. It's the captain at the helm that drives the boat. And if you're always driving looking backwards, it's only a matter of time before you crash. And so we've got to reorient our head. We've got to get a bit of a swivel happening on our neck and uh, you know, get a bit of a checkup from the neck up and see what are we actually focusing on? Because uh, whatever you pay attention to in your life manifests. And so uh, we want to be focused on, on forward things and, uh, and not just always what's happened in the past. The past does not drive your boat. Yeah, that's a good point. That's very visual and that's good for me to kind of have a picture of in my brain because I think, you know, you hear people say things like, oh, you don't know what I've been through or, or you have no idea the life I've lived. And while I think that it's important to know where you've come from and to know what you've been through, I don't personally at least want to be defined by what I've been through or you know the things that I've encountered. I think that I, I've always kind of said in my life, those things, whenever you give those things to God, they become a weapon against the enemy. But if you don't give them to God, they become a weapon against yourself. <laughs> That's true. And I love what you said about being defined. Uh, there's, an, there's a common saying, you know, your past doesn't define you. Oh, yeah. But that's not necessarily true. Your past may well define you if you're not careful. Oh. Um, so it can either define you or it can refine you. You can use it as a springboard into your future if you're able to reconcile your past so as to get on with what God has in store. Yeah, that's so good. So how would you, how would you tell somebody that's maybe you know, in a season where they can't let go of something or maybe they've been struggling. And like, for instance, with me in my life, four years ago, I was able to actually sit down and talk with you about some stuff that was kind of like this cyclical thinking that was leading me into a type of panic attack or anxiety attack. And I was wanting to let go of it, but it just kept coming like in a circle in my mind. You know, I think that there's some people out there that they don't even realize they're choosing to focus or prioritize their past or their pain or their hurt or what they're going through. Like, how can someone not bring their past into their future? That's a really great question, Keila, because it's it's easy for us to say, just don't focus on your past, focus on your future, get on with your future. But for somebody who's wrestling and struggling with hurt or pain or bitterness or resentment as a result of some kind of travesty or tragedy or betrayal or high treason in their life, it's not that easy. I'll often think of it a, a little bit like a rash that's formed. It's not easy to not scratch it. Now, we all know I shouldn't scratch it, but it just feels so good to scratch the rash. Why is it that it feels good to feel bad? And what we have to understand is that when we wallow in our hurt and our pain and our bitterness and we, we nurse, curse and rehearse all of the bad things that have taken place in the past, it's actually a little bit addictive. We get 
an endorphin rush in the same way when you scratch a rush a rash you get an endorphin rush um it's uh it's not too dissimilar to the 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 blessed mosquito bite you know that i've seen the mosquitoes in texas here then they're, they're like flying dogs they're they like are. massive and uh and if one of those things comes in under the radar and bites you and leaves a welt on your skin you know what you should do you should leave the past in the past. You should not scratch that thing. But inevitably, we just can't help ourselves but to itch around it, then itch on it. Then we get our fingernail and do the cross thing. I don't know if anyone knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> I do, I do. <laughs> and now it starts to bleed and then it gets infected. And two weeks later, the, the thing is still with us. If we would have only left it alone, by tomorrow morning, the thing would be gone. And yet we have kept it alive. We have brought our past into our future with us by not being able to leave it alone. And so one of the things that we have to recognize is that it's addictive. It actually feels good to scratch the rash, to nurse, rehearse, curse and rehearse, should I say, the pain. So it's a little bit like if you stub your toe and you're like, ow, like, oh, that hurts so much. So you nurse your toe immediately and then you curse the step upon which you stubbed it. And then in like an hour later, even after the pain's gone, people will come over and visit. You say, oh, you won't believe what happened to me. And we rehearse the story again and, and again and again. And if you're telling more than three people the same story, you're not looking for help. You're looking for attention. Yeah, that's so good. I think, you know, there's so many scenarios in in my own life with myself or with other people that I can connect what you're saying to. And like, you know, it's funny, but it's not. But you you see somebody, you talked about how you hit your, your foot or whatever. Someone sees the bruise and you're like, oh, I have an opportunity to tell people now again <laughs> yes. about what happened. You're like, oh, what would you do to your foot? Oh, you won't believe it. You know, or, uh, you know, someone sees someone that, you know, say someone has an ex that's listening to this. They're like, I saw your ex, whatever. And they're like, oh, I can't even, you know, it just sends them into the, it's almost like, it really is like you just took a drug and now you're on this negative high. And for me, it's, you know, in my life, it's been such a weird thing as a, as a woman, you know, you grow up and you see girls that go through their learning their emotions and they like guys and guys hurt them or their friend leaves or whatever. And they're all this ball of emotion. Well, the first thing that girls do growing up is they either look at themselves in the mirror and make themselves cry more, or they like listen to sad songs to make themselves cry. Or, you know, you have a breakup and they, they're fueling the pain or fueling the you know, the emotion that's a negative emotion, but like, we don't want to feel that way. But like you're saying about the bug bite, it's interesting because we know what to do yeah. to, to make the itch stop or to stop it from, you know, you have an itch on your foot and it feels so good to itch it, but then all of a sudden you have like a scar and you're bleeding because you've itched it so much, you know? <laughs> and it's, I think in our life, we know what to do or we know what not to do, but we don't always do what we should. Yeah, so true. And, and, and to add to that, all too often, we're not even aware. Like it's happening at a subconscious level. You, you can be driving to work in the morning and, you know, you're listening to a cool song and you're bopping along with the beat. And then all of a sudden that that song, you know, that song, yeah. that song, the song that was attached to that particular romance. And, you know, you never close your eyes any And you're like, oh, no, that's the song. And all of a sudden you've been transported into this emotional state that you're now dwelling on. Or or, or let's just say um, you're stopped at the traffic light and somebody walks across the zebra crossing in front of you who just reminds you of the person who they look similar. And now you're triggered. You're not even aware because you be, can still be 
listening to the yeah. music, singing along to the music, but you're now thinking about that person. It's agitating you. You arrive at work fully agitated and people are like, what's wrong? And you're like, I don't, I don't know, maybe I just haven't had my coffee this morning. All the while, it's because we've been subconsciously nursing, cursing and rehearsing um, the tragedy that took place in our lives. So do you, do you know why like negative things and, and feeding our, our pain or our hurt feels so good? Well, there's a fine line, just like the divinals sing. There's a fine line between pleasure and pain. And pleasure and pain are both processed in the same part of the brain. We would kind of think, no, 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 they should be processed in opposite ends of the brain because they're at different ends of the spectrum. But, you know, there's a fine line between pleasure and pain. It's the same when you're engaged in massage. If, if somebody's, you know, digging deep into your, your, your back sore muscle, you're like, oh, yeah, just a little bit deeper, a little bit harder or... Or if you take yourself off to the to the Indian restaurant and order the extra hot hot vindaloo curry, and what are you asking for? <laughs> extra spice, a little bit more pain. Why? Because at some level you find it pleasurable, and and as a result, you know, we scratch that rash. It feels good, so it requires incredible discipline um, to uh, to not scratch the rash. Because at the end of the day, all we're doing is self sabotaging. So why, like, what would be the reason? Because some people might not know if it's worth it to let go because, you know, they might see more of a benefit in, like, getting justice or, you know, like, I'm the type of person I'm built naturally, you know, and this is something I have to fight against is, like, I know what's right and what's wrong and I want justice. So, like, whenever, you know, things have happened in my life or I've gone through different scenarios, it's like... I've had to fight through letting God be my defender and trusting that he's going to take care of the situation. He's going to take care of me. He knows better what to do with that person, that situation than I ever could. But like, what is the benefit of leaving your past where it is and not bringing it into your future? Like, is there a benefit? Um, yeah, totally. There's, there's plenty of benefit in uh, nursing, cursing and rehearsing your past, especially in our day and age. Uh, there's a, a cultural or a social benefit. We're living in a day and age where it would appear the more victimized you are, the greater status you have. Hmm. And so we almost enter into this victimized contest where it's like, well, you won't believe what happened to me. And then, and then another person says, well, that's nothing. You should hear what happened to me. And then we start, you know, jeering back and forth about our, our hardship and, and as though it gives us some kind of social status. And, and at some level, depending on, on, you know, where you live and who you're associating with, well, it does. People give you respect or bow down almost and, and, and give you a free pass uh, without having to, you know, do the hard work work because, well, you've been victimized. But the truth is, the only qualification that we need in this life in order to be victimized, in order to be betrayed or experience high treason, is simply to be born. In other words, we are all victims, but we don't have to become victimized or stay with a victim mentality. We may have experienced tragedy um, at some level, but what do we do next? Uh, at the end of the day, yes, there's a certain kickback that you'll get from hanging on, scratching the rash and nursing, cursing and rehearsing all of your pain, your hurt, your bitterness and your resentment um, as it gives you social status. But it doesn't actually help you grow. It doesn't actually help you achieve anything in life. Uh, in fact, it does exactly the opposite. In fact, check this out. Stanford University did a research study with 104 participants where they divided them randomly into two different groups. And then they encouraged each participant to write an essay 
one group, they said, we'd like you to write an essay of a time in your life that was incredibly boring. Like, like tell us what was happening, how you were feeling, uh, spill it out all on the, on the pages that we've presented, um, and then submit your essay. But the other group, they said, we'd like you to find a time in your life because, as we said before, if you're alive and breathing, then everyone qualifies, a time in your life where you've been um, betrayed or hard done by, where you've experienced tragedy or high treason. You know, tell us what happened and how did it make you feel and pour out these emotions on the pages that we've provided you and, and then submit your essay. At the end of the study, the researchers asked all participants to help them clean up. And the people who wrote the boring essay were, were like, no problem, yeah, well, how can I help? What, what can I do? But for the people who wrote the victim mindset essay, they're like, sorry, help you? Shouldn't you be helping me? Like, I'm, I'm already helping you doing this, 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 this um, study. Like, am I even being paid for this? And didn't you read what happened to me? Like, and, and so immediately what happened next after cultivating a victim mindset was entitlement. The next step after entitlement is a demand for rights and also a selfish orientation that will become self-focused, self-centered. Um, as one of the anecdotal observations uh, that, re that the researchers made at Stanford University is the people who developed a victim mindset would often not just develop this entitlement and this, this demand for rights, but would often steal the researchers' equipment on the way out of the room and left a larger mess around where they were working. So just by cultivating this victim mindset, remembering that we've all had travesty experience, uh, experiences in our lives where, where we, you know, we've, we've been knocked off, the, off our perch, so to speak. But when we are encouraged to nurse, curse and rehearse or cultivate that victim mindset, it changes not just our attitudes, but also our behaviors and certainly not in a positive way. I think that, that I can see that in different scenarios in the world, like that study, breaking it down to things you hear on the news, things you see on social media. Um, you know, there's there's even a shirt the past couple of years that has kind of gone around and it's a quote, but it says, I'm not a victim, I'm a victor. And you know, it's kind of become like a, a thing that people say, but I think it's it would be really easy for any of us, like you're saying, to categorize ourselves into that victim mindset. Um, and into that life, but you know, I, I don't know. My my dad's always kind of told me about you know. There's there's people out there that are normal that like want to fit in with the groups and want to like have like that safety of like oh me too you know the whole me too movement and all yeah. this stuff like that. And I think that you know for at least for me and I know the people listening to this recording, it's not that those people don't matter or we don't care about those people, but like to be a leader, you can't just fit in a group always. You can't just like stick to what's normal and you have to kind of stand up inside yourself, maybe sometimes even against how you feel and like stand up to yourself of like, hey, like if I don't wanna keep feeling hurt, I can't keep nursing that. If I don't wanna be stuck in my pain and bring my past into my future, I can't stay in that, you know? Well, I would go so far as to say that the actual definition of leadership is the exact opposite of the definition of a victim mindset. Mm. And if we looked at the attitudes and the behaviors that follow, follow on from a victim mindset, this entitlement and this demand for rights, that's the exact opposite of leadership. So leaders, we give up our rights yeah. in order to fulfill our responsibility. Whereas for the person with a victim mindset, equality looks like oppression. 
you have to actually let that sink in for a second because we're living in a day and age where it's it's all about equality. But even when I reach or receive equality, it still will look like oppression. So as I ha- feel entitled and I demand my rights, it doesn't matter how much stuff I get. Entitlement just leads to more entitlement. Uh, my rights leads to more demands for rights so that it doesn't matter if I get equality. Equality will still look like oppression. For those who are accustomed to, to victimhood, it doesn't matter how good things get. Inequity, injustice, injury, these are all default emotional settings. Wow. And instead of dusting oneself off, and standing back up again, the victim mindset is hell-bent on dragging others down too. Rather than redemption, the victim mindset seeks to retaliate to, you know, if I feel broken, then then I want to break others down too and make them feel how I'm feeling, mm. which is broken because that would be equality. I want everyone on the same playing field. And obviously that's not progressing me. It's just bringing others down and so there's no growth here uh, with the victim mindset leadership on the other hand it was all about turning around and saying well how can I assist others as opposed to um, elevate myself or or um, bring others down so that there's a quality one of the things that Pastor Keith says he says the leader is the encourager which I love that I love to remind myself of that too because like for me encouraging is it's not just like a natural trait for me where I think like, mm, I need to encourage people. But I remind myself, I need to encourage people because I'm the leader. And like so many of us are focused on encouraging myself or like isolating ourselves in this weird way of like, you don't understand what I've been through or you just don't get it or stuff like that. Like I'm the, it reminds me of Tigger and Winnie and Winnie the Pooh. I'm the only one, you know, like I'm the only one who's been through this. I'm the only one who knows what this feels like. And it's exactly what the enemy wants in your life is for you to feel isolated, for you to feel like you're the only one, no one understands. But that's why I love like the reason why God sent Jesus to this earth, not just to die for our sins and for our freedom, but he actually lived a life here. Like he went through pain, he went through rejection, and he was the most hated and loved person ever in history. (laughs) (laughs) And I think, you know, if anybody would have an excuse to feel like a victim or to feel like someone who has been through a hard past, you know, or not understood, he would be the person. Yeah. And I think in our life, you know, whether you are listening to this and you fully believe in who Jesus is or not, like even just historically looking at his life and the turn of the crowd and all the stuff, you know, that we know about his life, he could have a reason to be like, you know, it's not worth it. Like, it's not worth it to be this nice to people. It's not worth it to have a good attitude. It's not worth it. And I've felt that way in different seasons of my life where I'm like, really like, I just want to stay focused on me and like no one else matters. But the truth is that keeps me in such a dark place and it keeps me in such a place where I actually don't have the power. I don't have the freedom that I want to live in and I'm perpetuating my own dysfunction. Yeah, it's so good. I'm, I'm just thinking about all the different times that he was betrayed and um, they told lies about him, spread rumors. Then one of his students you know, literally sells him <laughs> for 30 pieces of silver and, and then he gets brought before the Sanhedrin, the religious court, and then the, the political court. He gets unfairly tried. He gets you know sentenced to death There's unjustly. a lot of reasons to be a victim yeah, mindset. anyone person. was going to be bitter and, and you know resentful, towards the, the you know your fellow human beings and yet he's like no forgive them you know i i i choose i choose 
yeah. uh, to to self-sacrifice in order to fulfill my leadership um, role here. And, and that's such a an inspiration for leaders. If, if you're a leader and and you're listening to this, um, I, I love that that we get to be able to help others who may be less fortunate than ourselves or um, help others mobilize them to to advance a particular cause. Um, but it's not about um, helping the victim um, by fixing them or providing for them. Uh, the whole idea of, of the, the biblical principle of gleaning is that you don't harvest your entire field. You leave the corners and the sides um, so that the people who are less fortunate can come along and work I love this concept that we're empowering others. We're not, hey, harvest your entire field and then give a portion of it to the poor. No, leave a portion for them to come and work because when they fulfill their responsibility, therein is meaning and meaning contributes to self-worth. And now we start to slowly but surely, like you said before, encourage, uh, leaders are encouragers. We're encouraging them to climb their way up to the next level. Yeah, I think some of the most influential people I've looked to or learned from are people who overcame great hardship and they decided to use it as fuel for their future, not fuel to burn up everything around them. <laughs> and I think that there, there is a certain like pivotal moment in our life where we get to decide what am I going to do with this? Yeah. You know, I love the scripture in Isaiah forty three nineteen that says, I'm about to do something new. It's beginning to happen even now. Don't you see it coming? I'm going to make a way for you to go through the desert. I will make streams of water in the dry and empty land. And it's encouraging to me because, you know, sometimes like you feel like what is left here? Like what it, what's good here? And I think that, you know, the Bible also talks about like give thanks. Like, but it doesn't say give thanks for all things. It says give thanks in all things. We can do that when we can give thanks for who God is and what he's doing. Maybe not what's happening right now because we can't always see what he's doing. We can't always see what his purpose is. And, you know, I think I think about my life or even like correlating it to being able to play out the story of, like you said, Jesus, where he has like the opportunity to be to be a, a victim, to be someone who is victimized, you know, and, and needs justice. But like, I love that the the things that he said, which was forgive them for they know not what they do. I think so many times we have unforgiveness or we have pain or we have hurt, or we have resentment and we don't realize, you know, Joel Osteen, I, I'm paraphrasing it, but he says this thing where he says, um, it's not affecting them, it's infecting you. Mm, and in our life, like so many times we're going through something, but we're not going through it. Like we're stuck in it. And for us, it's actually, it's affecting our future. It's affecting our life because we can't see the fact that God is making a way where there seems to be no way. He's going to use every single thing in our life, not just for the good of our life, but for the good of the kingdom. And so it goes beyond us. I think when you get so focused on yourself, you can't understand that there is a world beyond you, a purpose beyond you. There's something beyond this one little tiny micro moment in your life. And you know, we can get so hyper-focused on the negative, but there's so much good that is happening and that is going to happen when you have a God like we do. We do a lot of work around the world with um, survivors of, of war and natural disaster, but in particular with child soldiers who have been abducted as kids and, and, and turned into either soldiers or sex slaves and forced to do unspeakable atrocities. And, uh, and when they escape, or when they've been captured, obviously, you know, th th there are a lot of people to point the finger at and blame. These these guys were, were certainly victimized, but 
but part and parcel of helping them to recover and reconcile their past so as to get on with their future is to recognize that exactly what you said before, um, the difference between affect and infect. We, we'll often describe a situation where, where you've been bitten by a poisonous snake and we ask the kids, you know, what's the first thing you need to do if you've been bitten by a poisonous snake? And, and the kids always respond by saying, go kill that snake and uh and as we have to point out look killing the snake doesn't actually help you Uh, getting retaliation or or you know being able to get back at the person who hurt you doesn't actually assist you your number one responsibility is to get rid of the poison that's within your system it's interesting because not a single person whether um in modern day or throughout history has ever died from a poisonous snake bite did you know that no well, I live in Australia, you know, the land of the most poisonous snakes in the world. And not a single person has ever died from a poisonous snake bite because we don't die from the bite. We die from the poison that mm-hmm. remains in our system. And so our responsibility is to get rid of the poison, to get rid of the hurt, the pain, the bitterness and the resentment. And you said something really great just moments ago, which is actually a great segue into, so how do we do it? How do we get rid of this? What's our first aid, you know, snake bite plan? How do I actually get, get over my past? And gratitude or thanksgiving is one of the tools that we can use. There's a, there's a great passage of scripture in Philippians chapter 4. Um, it's, there's three or four verses that you can really hold on to. It's like your get-out-of-jail-free card from Monopoly. Just read this card, follow its instructions, and you will get out of jail. And the first step says, rejoice in the Lord. Do you know how often? Always. Always. <laughs> and in case you were questioning always, it says, let me say it again. Let me say it again. <laughs> rejoice. But all too often, we get confused and we think, oh, that means be happy. Uh, but mm. rejoicing is not an emotional state of being. Yeah. It's an activity. It's a discipline. So just when you said before, even though the Bible talks about you know being grateful, giving thanks, not for all things, but in all things, it doesn't matter what situation you are going through, rejoice. What does that mean? It's the discipline and the activity to find something to be thankful for, to praise God for. And when we meditate on the things that are right and pure and good and just, it says in verse 7, then there is this peace kind of that peace that surpasses all understanding that will guard your heart and your mind. And that's what we need. In other words, this is the ointment that we're putting now on the rash or on the mosquito bite that takes the itch away and allows it the opportunity to finally heal. If you've got no more bite or no more rash, no point in scratching. Yeah, that's so good. I was uh, recently, I was doing some research on gratitude actually. And Brene Brown, you know, she references a study where she says that the participants in the study, the ones who said that they were joyful, were never joyful without being first grateful. You can't be joyful. Like the people that were that were not joyful weren't, weren't grateful. And that she said that gratitude is actually a discipline. It's not like a feeling. And whenever you have this discipline of gratitude, that the, the joy comes when you choose to be grateful. And I remember even me and you four years ago having a conversation about gratitude because I was asking you, you know, how do I get rid of these cyclical thoughts of this panic, of this darkness that I don't feel like I have control over? And I think that there's sometimes people that really feel that way. They feel like I don't have the control and I can't get control because, you know, I, it's just so out of 
it's out of what I can reason, you know? It's out of, like, why would they do that? Why would this happen? It's so out of something that they could reason in their brain. Yeah. And one of the things you told me is that, like, the biggest, like, or the strongest neural pathway that we ever deal with, and correct me if I ever say any of this wrong, but what I remember four years ago is you said the, the largest neural pathway, the strongest neural pathway is fear. And the only way to change that, that path from, like, going over and over and over is to kind of like a train track is to switch it over and you have to have a stronger neural pathway to override that neural pathway, which is gratitude or being grateful. And I remember telling you that sounds dumb. Whenever you talked to me, I said, that sounds dumb. And you said, well, just try it. And every time like you start to feel like you're going into the cycle or you're going back to your past or you're going back to a place where you don't have control, start saying things and, and feeling grateful and taking action on that gratitude and see what happens. And at least, and correct me if I'm wrong, like after I said that, if I said anything wrong, but in my life, it brought me freedom. Like it literally was like, you know, you go to the doctor, you're like, Hey, I'm feeling sick. How do I fix this? They give you medicine. If you don't take it sometimes like, yes, God can heal you, but also God brought us doctors with medicine and science that we can use also. So it's like, you know, I believe in the power of God, but I also believe in the power of my own brain to work and use what I've been given. So for me, I actually started taking that advice and using it and I broke the cycle and I've never dealt with it since because I so know good. how I know how to avoid that cycle um, of panic or of anxiety or like that out of control moment in my life. I know how to combat it. And so in my life, I'm not fearful of it anymore because I know exactly how to change the direction. So good. Kind of reminds me of what we just said moments ago with the gleaning principle. There might not be a harvest of great things to be you know, abundantly joyful and, gra and grateful for, but if you just go to the edges of the field and to the corners of the field and find something to be grateful for, um, you know, then you've got seed that you can plant and, uh, and so that can ultimately create a greater harvest down the track. So if you're listening to this right now and you want to do exactly what Keeler has done and, and push past great difficulty in the past, don't, don't, don't get stuck in your past, but get past your past. Reconcile your past so as to get on with your future. Whenever you recognize that you're scratching the itch when you're nursing, cursing and rehearsing, even if it's been subconscious and it comes into the conscious for a brief moment, you go, aha, wow, how long have I been thinking? Arrest that thought. Mm. A great scripture says, lay hold every thought captive for Christ. Hold on to it and say, I'm just going to replace it right now. I'm going to renew it with something to be grateful for. Look on the corners of your life, like around the fringes, around the edges. Is there something that I can glean and, and be grateful for? And all of a sudden, because I'm grateful in this moment, it changes my neurology. It changes my emotional disposition, my chemistry, my hormones. Everything starts to, to change. Having an avalanche um, of, of biological ex of, of transition here and as a result i no longer need to scratch that rash and and you might have to do it 50 times a day in the yeah. first day and but the next day you might think oh maybe only 40 times or in the next you know by the next week or maybe only half a dozen times and and after a while that thought no longer affects you and here's the ultimate prize when you are able to actually remember what transpired but when you remember in the future you're no longer conjuring up all of that hurt pain and bitterness now your memory serves as a testimony where you say, this is where I was, but thank God I am no longer there. I am here and I am moving forward. Yeah, that's so good. You know, what's interesting and you know, we're ending here, but what's interesting, you probably don't know this, but um, today for me, at least personally, is a very special day. Uh, four years ago today, like God started speaking to me about my future. 
for those of you that don't know, I think I've shared it in LSI before, but um, four years ago, like this week, my the guy I was married to had had an affair and left me, and it had been going on for months, but this is the week that he like left me. But this was three days after he had left, and God like literally started like casting vision for my future. And so I think about what you're saying, and I I realistically like in this moment look back because I even post something on Instagram today saying like I look back today and I'm so grateful. Like this is like a celebration day for me where I'm just grateful for who God is and what He's done and what He's going to continue to do. And it's like this reminder of His faithfulness. And I think that what started that process is trusting God over what I felt or what I saw in the moment. And I think you know even what you taught me about gratitude and being grateful. It was even if I didn't know what to be grateful for, just saying, thank you, God. Thank you, God, that I'm breathing. Thank you, God. And just sometimes I would just say thank you over and over again because I was just so stuck in what I felt and what I was dealing with that, you know, now today looking back, it it's the only thing that makes me emotional about my past is the goodness of God. And I think that's what, you know, God wants us all to move towards is like, you know, there's a song, it's called The Goodness of God, and it says, all my life you've been faithful. All my life you've been, you've been good. Like with every breath that I'm able, I will sing of the goodness of God. And I think that the enemy wants you to get so stuck in your hurt, so stuck in your pain that you can't see the goodness of God and you can't operate with that freedom and the power that he gives you through your pain. So instead you just are so focused on the negative things and the enemy loves it. But the truth is the enemy has no power in your life that you don't give him. We're the ones sometimes giving him that authority because we are itching, because we are scratching, and we're not implementing what we know, that God's good no matter what we go through, no matter what we face. And if we could just speak about that, live like that, the enemy would have no power in our life. It's just not always easy because we don't feel like it. But your feelings aren't facts. What we go through isn't even necessarily a fact. It's all how we perceive it and how we feel about it. And so I think, you know, taking control of your emotions, taking control of your past has so much more to do with receiving who God is than it does understanding what happened in the past. And you know, does that make sense? Totally. And I'm so, just thinking to myself, just as you're talking, I'm like, well, I for one am <laughs> so thankful for the journey that you've been on and for the transition that you've made and for the place that you find yourself today. Yeah, that's worth being thankful for. Yeah, and I just, I, I think for those of you listening today, I just wanna encourage you, you know, yours, you're, you might be in the same place as me today or you might still be in a place where you're dealing with stuff and you're struggling, but like, I just want to encourage you and I want you to know that with God, if it, and I love this, Dr. Bronner said this when he was at our church a couple uh, months ago, but he said, God never ends on a negative. So if it's negative right now, God's not done yet. And like, just stay focused on the fact that he's good. It might not turn out how you want, with who you want, or when you want, but he's always going to work it together for good. And you know, sometimes we don't see it in our lifetime, but the fact is, is that you can know, you can have faith and trust with God that he always has more and he always wants more for you than you could ever want for yourself or you could ever see. So if we just got on that gratitude side, on the on the positivity side of even maybe sometimes just saying, forgive them, they know not what they do, it brings this freedom and this power and this anointing in your life, this purpose through your pain that you never thought possible. So I'm so excited that you were here with us, Dr. Robbie, and I'm excited to announce next month he'll be with us again so stay tuned because we're going to have a whole other discussion that i believe is going to radically transform your leadership your life your marriage your relationships and everything that god has for you in the future cheering you on thank you for listening to the love fiercely podcast i would love for you to subscribe to personally receive weekly encouragement also check out my blog at keelacraftambrose.com for monthly content Don't forget to follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Keela Craft Ambrose.